0: Good evening everyone. Welcome back to Spin Class. Yes, we are back. And it's Thursday night here on the Nachum Siegel Network, com, jm in the am.org, and it's been a while. I'm your host Michael Fragan, and we're talking politics. And here in the studio with me is Ryan Carbon of Rockland County and a keen observer of the suburban political environment, and he correctly, I think, uh, kind of uh, prognosticated some of these races. So Ryan, welcome.
1: Uh, well thank you, I think it's a vicious accusation to be accused of, vicious. but uh, you know i I do prognosticate from time to time, and uh, every now and then I'm right.
0: Well, if the shoe fits, so we go. Okay, and we have had a quite an election day. We saw a progressive elected in New York City, but Republicans winning three key county executive races, Nassau, Westchester. And Rockland County. is a triangle of red. Triangle of red surrounding the blue, although some might say red. New York City. Red in a different manner. Thanks for joining us. And we're sponsored by Beckerman Public Relations, Beckerman.com, BeckermanPR.com, and Beckerman Public Affairs. If you need, if you are in need of any type of crisis management or just getting your name out there, Beckerman is the place to go. We have a program. We have Jerry Skernick of Prime New York coming on. Uh, he is. I, a, I love Jerry Skernick. I love Jerry. Everybody loves Jerry Skernick. Jerry Skernick it's is the guy. Ger- everybody's
1: you, bought all of their political lists from Jerry Skernick.
0: And, and you want you want to know who your voters are? Jerry Skernick is the guy to tell you who those who those voters are. And Ryan, as somebody who's run for office, uh, you how important is that?
1: Oh, it's very important. But but what's great about Jerry Skernick is my dad worked with Skernick in the early '80s for Ed Koch, so. Skernix and carbons have been around together for a very, very long time, so I'm excited that we're going to have Jerry on the show okay
0: hopefully that la- that ended on good terms always always okay, fantastic okay i you know you never know when you you know mix people together in the soup sometimes there could be a little bit uh you know some positive reactions or some negative reactions, so politics oh. makes strange breadfellows, yes. After that, we're going to have uh, Phil Reisman, columnist for the Journal News. He's going to talk a little bit about the suburban races, particularly Westchester, and perhaps we'll veer into Rockland. I don't want it to be too much of uh, Ryan's expertise. And uh, we're also going to have Dina Rubenstein from the Capitol, New York, uh, which is now becoming a powerhouse publication with regard to politics. You know, but- I, I
1: got I got Capitol, New York's, that, that, that morning uh, briefing that they put out. It's terrific.
0: Yeah, Very Aussie paper, it does a great job.
1: Comprehensive, thorough. I thought it was absolutely awesome. Absol- great addition to the scene.
0: Absolutely awesome. So, uh, Rummy, we have a, we've, oh, uh, Jerry's on already. Okay, Jerry, Jerry dialed in. Jerry Skernick, welcome to Spin Class.
2: Uh, thank you. Glad to be, glad to be with you.
0: Okay, so Jerry Skernick of Prime New York, as, uh, as Ryan said, uh, we have Ryan Carbon here in the studio. Uh, Hello. hi, be. Ryan. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Okay. It goes back a couple years, I think, the relationship, I'm told. Uh,
2: I think I first met Ryan when he was running for county legislature. <laughs>
0: Okay, well now some say he's running the county legislature. I don't, uh, I don't
2: know anybody. Uh, wh- whoever is saying
1: that is is smoking something pretty wonderful.
0: <laughs> so Jerry, let's let's just jump right in because I I, I know we got to maximize the amount of time that we have you with us, and there's just so much to talk about as we put another election to bed. Uh, you know how how would you term 2013 versus the Previous election of for mayor of 2009, everybody thought 2013 was going to be exciting, and it was going to be really contested. And it turns out being a cakewalk for Bill De Blasio. Uh,
2: yeah, it did. And and I'm as as far as the primary is concerned, I'm as surprised as anybody. Uh, I honestly never thought De the, the Blasio had much of a chance. Uh, and ironically. It's it, it's against everything I believe in because ever, ever since the uh, first mayoral campaigns that I w- were involved in, which was uh, Herman Badillo in 1973 and Ed Koch in '77, both of whom were way behind in the early polls, in, even the fairly late polls. Uh, so ever since then, I believe that don't believe the early polls. Uh, people don't make up their mind till you know a couple of weeks before the election. And even though I keep saying that, this year I said, yeah, that's true. It means it's going to be close between Thompson and Quinn. I never thought De Blasio was uh, a serious contender until, you know, August when it became, you know, you couldn't deny, you know, when two th- two or three polls in a row come out saying he's moving up. Uh, so I was surprised. And uh you know, he really won in, both the primary and the general across the board, uh, and 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 he he really he really got the zeitgeist of the city, uh, and uh, you know. Well, I, I want to touch on that. Jerry. A, you, you, a, you, said he,
1: you said he got the zeitgeist of the city. You know, those yeah. of us who are in politics, we talk about elections uh, very tribally who 's going to get the latinos who 's going to get the blacks who 's going to get the jews who 's going to get this kind of sotmer who 's going to get that kind of sotmer? I think there are fifteen different flavors of sotmer these days. Um, so you know, we talk about it that way, but blasio, de blasio was really offering a, a post ethnic narrative um, even while simultaneously highlighting obviously his interracial family. What do you see in terms of the relationship is there a different relationship now between race slash ethnicity and message in city politics, or do you think this is a one off?
2: Well, I wouldn't say it's a one off, uh, but I don't think it goes across the board. Uh I mean we you know, we somewhat saw it in the presidential election, uh you know, Obama winning twice, uh which still, you know, he didn't get a majority of the white vote in either of the election, but most Democratic presidential candidates don't get a majority of the white vote. Uh, you know, he got enough of them, uh, to be elected. I mean, he would not have won with just the black and Hispanic and Asian vote. Uh, but, and so there's more and more of that happening, but there still is a lot of ethnic politics. I mean, we saw that in the public advocate, uh, primary and runoff. Uh, uh, Letitia James basically won because the turnout in the African American community uh, from the primary to the runoff did not drop as much as the turnout in the white community did.
3: But that, there will be new. more that, and more that, cases
2: that. of uh, candidates appealing to racial and ethnic groups other than their own, which I, you know, is even though in specific cases it may be against our own personal wishes. Overall, it's obviously good for the country that people vote more on demerits than on uh, tribalism.
4: Well,
0: but if you look at the difference, everybody expected Bill Thompson, right, to get get the African-American vote, and instead it went to Bill de Blasio largely, but maybe perhaps most people consider Bill de Blasio to be a uh, black candidate. Because well, of to some
2: extent he was. I mean, uh, I'm one of those who all along thought that, you know, the polling was wrong. And, and, and what convinced me was that, you know, in the early polling when Christine Quinn was winning, she was beating Thompson among African-Americans. Then when Anthony Weiner came into the race and Quinn dropped, Weiner was winning African-Americans against Thompson. And my belief was – and then – then when de Blasio started moving up, he was beating them. Uh, de Blasio was beating Thompson among African-Americans. And my belief was that that was all because, you know, the campaign really hadn't started and blacks didn't realize that Thompson was not only black but a serious candidate. Uh, but, you know, you as, don't, you as don't, they are closer and closer to the election day, Jerry, the Jerry, you don't,
1: you don't changing,
2: think uh, – I began to think that, you know – there was something going on, and I do think it has a lot to do with the uh, Blasio's family. I mean, we had never had a case where the white liberal candidate had an African-American family.
1: Don't you think, though, that I, – I, I'm not sure that I buy this notion that Bill Thompson was you know, some kind of unknown, nobody knew anything about him or whatever it was. You know, I think he dropped the ball on stop and frisk. I think he lost control of that issue. I think that was the issue that was hanging out there as a litmus test – for African American voters and they flunked one of their own on it
2: um, I think you're right what I'm saying is I was wrong in my belief about Thompson, I I mean that's what I believed at the time but yeah I was clearly wrong about it and it may, I think it partially was the issues uh, including stop and frisk but I also think you know it was I mean I actually spoke to a a prominent uh, assembly member who was supporting Thompson African American about week and a half before the primary, and he asked me did I think that de Blasio really could be doing that well. And, and I said that, you know, I hadn't thought that way, but, you know, now I'm thinking that it might be, and it might be because of his family. And he said, yep, in his district, the older black women, they love de Blasio, and, and they keep talking about his family. So
0: so let's talk for a second about who came out to who turned out in the Democratic primary, and in the general, who didn't Where, where were the pockets of, of victory that, that you saw as you look at Have you looked this election versus past elections?
2: Well, the, well, turn, the turnout in, in the primary uh, the highest turnouts really weren't that different from the past. I mean, uh, white liberals in Manhattan and in Brooklyn uh... turned out heavily uh... Harlem turned out fairly heavily uh, uh... i don't know if you would call it i guess moderately liberal jewish areas like riverdale and central queens turned out heavily in the primary uh... those are the ones that had percentage turnout higher than the overall twenty five percent or so we had uh, the places where the turnout was low this year in the primary were, uh, the Hispanic community, which, uh, some of us suspected all along would happen because there were no serious Hispanic candidates for citywide or even borough wide office. Uh, you know, someone was asking me right before the primary at the turnout in Queens, and I pointed out that literally the only Hispanic candidates running in Queens was a fringe candidate running for city council in uh Howard Beach Rockaway area where there aren't many Hispanics and the slim part of Queens that was in Vito Lopez's council district that the incumbent Hispanic councilwoman was unopposed so she wasn't even on her name wouldn't even appear on the ballot. So the Hispanic turnout was low and I think that was like I said largely because there were no borough wide or city wide Hispanic candidates. The other groups that had low turnout were uh you know white Catholics. Uh in uh, you know Staten Island and South uh, and uh, West Queens, are, are, are
1: white Catholics still allowed to vote in Democratic primaries in New York City? Are still allowed to do that? That's
2: that's a steady decline. <laughs> is it, is, is, <laughs> They're is it allowed not? to, but they've uh, they've voluntarily uh, decided <laughs> that that's not what they like like, like to do. <laughs> what is,
1: what does this mean, Jerry? You know the, the De Blasio victory, um, while you know, kind of emerged from what I call the institutional left. Which is different than the kind of you know your kind of institutional politics of democratic clubs and all those other kinds of things. Um, what What are the implications for the political infrastructure in the city, which, regardless of what people see on the surface, still remains in a lot of places, you know kind of very club driven, district leader driven. Um, what is this the implications of this mayoral primary? For the city's political infrastructure and how we deal with the pecking order, who's the next assemblyman, you know, all that stuff in New York, still very party driven, party controlled. But de Blasio didn't ride the party infrastructure. He rode message and he rode the kind of union-fronted left infrastructure. Um, is there still a place in city politics? Will there still be a place in city politics for the club, political club structure of the past decades? Or is it just you know should it just you know find uh, find another way for all these uh, all these yentas to spend their time?
2: No, well they still have clout. The, the lower you get on the totem pole, that's where the political clubs have clout. Uh, elections like civil court judge, state legislature, club endorsements, and clubs being behind you are still important. I mean, going back to that the can't the campaign you know that seventy seven. Koch campaign. Uh, he won the primary with the only political clubs that supported him were the ones in his congressional district and a handful of tiny insurgent clubs uh, who were sort of on the outs with both the reformers and the regulars in the outer boroughs. Uh, but that didn't translate into people, you know, like Ed Koch, who uh, getting elected to the city council or the assembly or state senate. Uh, you could sort of go above the heads of the clubs with, as you said, your own either message or unions. Uh, but it's a lot harder to do for local races. Number one, uh, everything other than outside the city elections, uh, you have trouble raising money. Uh, you know, we don't get public financing. Uh, but secondly, voters just don't, get the, don't know enough about you. and mean, in New York City, you're not going to be able to run TV ads. For an assembly or a state senate campaign, uh, De Blasio and Koch and other mayoral candidates are able to do that, and sort of go over to club's heads.
0: Amazing. Where where would you see the the uh, the greatest impact of the Bloomberg fatigue, aside from Christine Quinn's uh, uh, you know decline? But I'm saying in the turnout. Which areas had could be described as having Bloomberg fatigue that that turned out heavily in the in the past uh, couple elections and, well, then, it, and that it's didn't funny, come out this actually
2: because you know the, the board of elections hasn't come out with the the general election results but I was looking at the uh, the map that the people at CUNY put out and, and I just read a blog post where it sort of confirmed what I was looking at because I had trouble believing it that. The turnout seemed to have dropped in the general, in some of those areas where the turnout, I said, went up in the primary. Uh, Places like parts of the west side and the east side in Manhattan, uh, turnout dropped a little. uh, And same things in parts of central Queens, uh, turnout dropped. So... uh, you may, that, that conceivably could be those, like, Bloomberg Democrats. Uh, you know, they're registered Democrats. They vote for Democrats for president. Uh, but they voted for Giuliani. They voted for Bloomberg. Uh, and some of them may not have voted in the primary because, you know, Loder wasn't a liberal enough Republican for them, or they thought he couldn't win.
1: Any, any, Even though,
2: the, you know, Loader actually did well on the east side, but... The turnout actually seemed to drop quite a bit on the east side. So,
1: what does this mean? Uh, you know, you know, it's, uh, the, the last election's over, as, as Michael said at the top of the show, and, you know, uh, all the gossip, all the frenzy, all the excitement is about the 2014 race, the Cuomo reelect. What do we learn from NYC 2013 that will help us understand, uh, the various factors that are going to animate the 2014 race? They're very different. they were very different results, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. You had a, huge progressive win in the city with bill de blasio you had the republicans run really strong uh... in the in the suburbs you're going to have an emboldened republican senate as a result an emboldened liberal democratic assembly as a result you have a governor running for re-election is there anything in these numbers that provides an intelligent path for how to balance all of that
2: uh... i'm not sure there is uh... i think uh... I'm not sure how any of this translate much into the. It's definitely the statewide elections. Uh, it might mean something for state legislative races. Uh, would uh, would there be some stronger progressive opponents to some incumbent Democratic assembly members and senators? Uh, would the Republicans uh, this does this help the Republicans' chances of uh, picking up some of those suburban? Uh, State Senate seats they lost in the last uh, two two or three cycles, uh, possibly. But I don't think it really affects uh, either Cuomo or the uh, statewide Republican candidates. Obviously, if Rob Astorino, the county executive of Westchester, decides to run for governor, it affects him because if he had lost, nobody would be caring about him running. But, you know, I still think Cuomo is in pretty good shape for reelection.
0: But Jerry, just to pick up on that for a second, in Nassau County where I reside, Tom Swazi made his you know another run, uh his his fourth consecutive run. He had you know won twice, lost once, and then now has lost uh, again. And uh, his numbers were uh, as far as total turnout were terrible. Pathetic. Uh, I mean, yeah, pathetic. I mean, I read
2: a Newsday he, like he carried Long Beach by less than a hundred votes. Right.
0: Uh, and, and so does that mean? I mean, what does that mean for Democrats is, uh, in, in general? Does that mean there's enthusiasm for there is enthusiasm for a progressive like Bill De Blasio, and very little enthusiasm for a relative moderate like Tom Suozzi amongst Democrats? So what, what does that mean?
2: Well, I think that has more to do with difference between voters in New York City and, and Nassau. I don't. I don't think someone running. Uh, is, you know, a stronger liberal than uh, Swazi would have done better. Uh, I just think it's just something different. It, it 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 shows that something some of us felt after Swazi won, which was following uh, Andy Spano winning in Westchester, a lot of us felt that the suburbs uh, were turning democratic. I mean, I I was sort of embarrassed about six or seven years ago. I said that, you know, Westchester's voting like Queens now. They, you know, they vote for Democrats, the top of the ticket, they elect Democratic judges, and, you know, two years later, Astorino wins. Uh, and, and this year, I mean, not only Astorino win, they, uh, they, they got like 45% of the vote in the race for county clerk that no one even thought their candidate was a serious candidate. Uh, so, I think it shows the Republicans making a comeback in the suburbs uh, i don 't think that necess- you know i don 't think that really affects Cuomo that much, but it, it shows they 're not dead yet
1: okay, okay, they're not, a- they're, not, they're not they're not they're not dead and and, and i think the, the issue i 'm saying
2: five years ago i thought they were
1: well i think <laughs> I think the issue here is and, and and what was most interesting to me was we were having this whole steady diet, and i 'll tell you those of us involved in democratic politics. Oh, my God, look what's happening in Washington. You know, the Tea Party is gone absolutely crazy. Congress is, is out of control. Everybody hates it. They shut down the government. There is no way that the reasonable suburban voters are going to vote Republican this year. And that turned out to be an absolutely absurd way of looking at, um, at things. I think the Republicans, while each one of those races in the suburbs had its own unique dynamics, the brand is not discredited. Well, and it, when it you control those counties, exa- exa- it was
0: I'm discredited sorry? here. In I think that was a big albatross for Joe Loda in the campaign. I think there's no question. It was discredited in the city. In the city, correct.
2: Yeah, but also the city is, you know, so much more democratic than 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 the suburbs are.
0: Right. Uh, I guess it gets yeah, back to the I, question. I, I,
2: I agree with what you're saying. I, I'm just saying, I, about five, six years ago, you know, it shows you why you people shouldn't believe that you know trends can never end. It's taxes. Uh, I'm you telling
1: know, you, it, Jerry, it is taxes. It's
2: democratic, and that, that will never end. And, you know, it was wrong, and we should have known that. You know, we know – you know, remember, it used to be that the Republicans had a lock on the Electoral College uh, because they always carried, uh, you know, Texas and California. Uh, well, we – Democrats started carrying California, and now people think the Democrats have a lock on the Electoral College. It wasn't true then. That's not true now.
1: All, <laughs> I ca- all I could say about the suburban thing um, in New York is it is property taxes, property taxes, property taxes. And Astorino, Mangano, and, and Ed Day, and for all the cultural things and everything else, people in the suburbs are still po about their property taxes. I think Cuomo is going to run really, really hard on that tax cap um, in, in the 2014 reelect, But the tax argument and whether Democrats are trusted to manage the local government and do it efficiently, you know, Andy Spano, Tom Suozzi, those kind of technocratic um, Democrats, uh, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of us thought there might have been a new brand uh, in, in New York politics, but voters in the suburbs are remaining very fickle. They are not interested. You know, you, you spoke, Michael, about politics making strange bedfellows. Suburban voters, not in bed with the Democrats, not in bed with the Republicans. They're still dating, and I think they're going to be dating for a very long time.
0: This, well, is, uh, this is big is class. That, i got to do know, a station ID you. for a second.
2: I heard this... someone talking. I went to a forum last night about the the Blasio administration, and uh, someone pointed out that in New York City, most voters' property tax is hidden. Uh, they're renters. Uh, they don't realize... How high the property tax is because it's buried in their b- rental bill
0: and their and water bills. Nowhere
2: does it say thirty percent of this is going to the city.
0: Yeah, it's there's a lot of hidden taxes. This is spin class, and we're talking to Jerry Skurdick of Prime New York. I'm Michael Fragan here with Ryan Carbon in the studio, and uh, we are recapping 2013 trends and elections. And Jerry, I want to drill down past the top of the ballot. Let's let's talk about two races that were particularly interesting. One. uh it, both in Brooklyn, and uh, one being the DA's race, and the other one, which was uh, certainly lower down, which was kind of termed the only competitive city council race in the general, which was the 40th council district, was which was designed apparently to elect a Russian American, uh, and did not. Uh, the Russian candidates lost in the primary to uh, Chaim Deutsch uh, from from the a member of the Orthodox community, and a Russian candidate lost in the general election to Deutsch, so uh i think you know before we get past the post tribal uh i think actually this might be a, an interesting uh example of post tribalism where a russian per, uh i guess plari- pl- plurality does not elect the russian candidate
2: uh yeah i you know like i that's a, like i said the general election numbers aren't out yet my my guess is that uh, in the general, in the primary, I mean, there were more than one Russian candidate, so I think that was a large factor in Deutsch's win. In the general, I think, uh, David Starobin, the r- uh, Russian candidate, uh, lost because he may have got, you know, the bulk of the Russian vote. Uh, I think the third group, you know, everybody else went with the Deutsch, not just the Orthodox. I mean, there are you know, secular Jews and Italians and uh, living in that district, and my guess is that most of them went for Deutsch. Uh, uh, Who who I don't know, but every I I hear lots of good things about him personally and what a hard worker he is.
1: You know, Uh, reminds me a little bit, Michael. You know, we saw it when uh, in that David Greenfield primary. Where Greenfield, a younger orthodox candidate, ran so strongly with the other uh, with the, a lot of the other non orthodox groups in the district with a lot of the Catholics with a lot of the white ethnics
0: right that was a special election right i i guess uh I guess the the lesson there in southern Brooklyn is that the orthodox candidate has a broader appeal in both cases I think he uh, well Deutsch obviously followed greenfield's model there of reaching out to some of the other groups.
2: Uh yeah, I actually I left out Asians. There are a significant Asian community there. You know, John Liu actually carried uh, parts of that area.
0: Oh right. Uh, and he endorsed primary. uh and he endorsed Chaim Deutsch. Uh it the uh, uh, he came out to campaign for him. Right. Um, right. What so a- I
2: mean uh, and, and and you know, and the the Russian community was somewhat split. I mean there's significant Russian I mean if they really wanted to make it into a Russian seat. Uh, there was a significant Russian vote in the 47th, the adjoining council district. If they really wanted to m- make it as, you know, as much of a Russian seat as they made the uh, Simcafelda seat into the super Jewish seat, uh, they could have done that, but, uh, you know, I, I I don't think you know. I think they I think there was tension that the redistricting commission had to both in you know help the Orthodox community have another seat and help the Russian community, and they they tried to balance it uh, as best as they could.
0: Well, I I rem- I do recall that the Orthodox community was quite upset with regard to the way this was drawn. But let let's get into the DAs race for a second. Uh, were you surprised at the primary that uh, that Joe Hines did as poorly as he did?
2: I was uh I thought uh I thought Thompson had a chance after Abe George uh full disclosure we we were probably going to be working for Abe George if he, if he ran uh but you know he called us up right right at the time petitioning ended to say he decided not to run uh but I, I thought that George uh Thompson had a chance if he, he would get if he got the New York Times endorsement and therefore would cut into uh, the usual vote that Heinz got in places like brown in Brooklyn Heights, Park Slope, what they call Brownstone, Brownstone Brooklyn. Well, you don't think Jerry
1: people are just sick and tired? I mean, that's a long. Well, it turns out that's long, what happened. I mean, I mean
2: not, not only did Thompson do cut into Heinz's vote, he clobbered him. He carried every election district in the 52nd Assembly District, uh, which is Brooklyn Heights. You
0: know, because I, I look uh, at this
2: actually, without, well, not only did the New York Times did not endorse him. The Daily News endorsed Thompson with such a backhanded endorsement that, uh, a, a lawyer friend of mine said that if they didn't, if, if he was running for DA and they had endorsed him for that, he'd resign from the bar. He'd be so insulted embarrassed. Uh, so yeah, I think people just got, uh, tired of Hines. Uh, I think the turnout was, a, you know, just like it was a strongly liberal turnout citywide for de Blasio, I think that's the way it was in, uh, Brooklyn also.
0: Well, I think we see the decline also, as you mentioned beforehand, with regard to the white Catholics. Uh, it's not just that the white Catholics out there are not voting or choosing not to vote. They're not even there anymore. Well, yeah, that's the
2: other thing, sure. When, uh, uh, yeah, as, as Catholic, as, you know, voters get old, white Catholics get older, uh, and they either retire and move or they pass away, uh, their homes are you know they're not being bought by you know people from people from uh Garden City aren't moving to Bay Ridge uh it's uh Asians Hispanics uh and uh you know and, and newcomers to the city who are going going and uh, buying those homes
1: and which is really what I think Michael make, makes it's the reason that this is the De Blasio moment because of that he has a melting pot family in a melting pot city at a time when uh, you have, you know, you look at stop and frisk, which at its core I see is a culture clash between uh, minorities in the street and still law enforcement, which is primarily non-minority, non-city resident, whatever it is. When when you, you have a city which is had to adjust to a new ethnic reality, and I think that the De Blasio election is really the completion of of, of that circle because the De Blasio administration, the De Blasio family. That's the face of New York City today. So it really shouldn't come as as a shock to, to, to us, even though sometimes it does, that the politics is lining up to the demographics. There's always a lag, but the politics always catches up to the demographics.
0: I agree. Okay. So, so let's get to. It. We got one last question for you, Jerry, and this is the usual question uh, for, for someone like you. Any surprises? Can you point to something out there aside from Bill De Blasio's descendants? But is there anything that came out of Election Day that you said, "Wow, I can't believe that happened"?
2: The general election in, in the in the city, at least, uh, it was, there were, I don't see any upsets. I mean, the closest to an upset was Deutsch winning, which I thought was you know either one could win. Uh, so it wasn't like a stunning upset. Uh, so in the city there weren't any. Uh, frankly, nearby the city, the closest biggest surprise to me was in uh, Ryan's uh, Bailiwick of Rockland, where I thought the Republicans had a shot, but uh, I, you know I I expected the Democrats to finally win in, in Rockland.
1: Well, you know, and and that's been and that was twenty years in the wilderness, and, and and you know we could talk a little bit more about that, Mike. But I would just say in response to you, Jerry, that was an election. It, election was a referendum on the Hasidim. It was a referendum on the growth of the ultra-Orthodox community, and Ed Day's victory was propelled in no small part by conservative and reformed Jews, basically saying, we are not going to apologize for Orthodox excess in the political culture anymore. We we are embarrassed by the Orthodox control of the school board, um, and co- I'm tired of reading on the front page of the Journal News about all these... Uh, uh, code violations concentrated in those in those heavily in those densely populated communities. So this was really a rebellion of Jews against Jews. And it's not so much interesting in terms of its politics, but the Pew survey and American Jewish behavior and the story of the American Jewish community and its intergroup relations, we can do a whole show on it, is being played out in Rockland County. And watch Rockland County for the next four years, and you're going to see the battles that are facing the Jewish people. And, and that's not a political issue, but the politics in Rockland County has been hijacked effectively by the internal divisions of the Jewish world. And seeing how that intersects is going to be a very wild ride.
0: So let me get this straight. What you're saying is that the liberal Jews went to vote for the Republican because the more conservative Jews were supporting the Democrats.
1: That is Correct.
0: Okay. Yeah, there's
2: a. I mean, there's a. Group
1: Welcome to my world, Michael. Well, you think Ramapo. it
2: was easy to be
0: in office there? My God, <laughs> Jerry, you were saying?
2: There's a group called Preserve Ramapo, which is the opposition to the political leadership of Ramapo, mainly on the grounds that they they're too close to the uh, Orthodox community, and they and another group of anti-development people. Basically, they're anti-development also they formed this uh, a third party called Preserve Rockland and gave their line to Ed a Republican candidate and that was his margin of victory he didn't get enough votes on the Republican uh, line to beat Democrats he needed what was it Ryan about 10,000 votes they got for him right
1: yeah they they got they got around 9 they got around 9,000 uh, yeah. 9, yeah
2: yeah and i mean and they've been successful in the past they have a county legislator who you know a democratic county legislator who endorsed a republican candidate on, just on those issues you
1: know, it's going to be fascinating to see though that you know none of that is going to change the trend line, which is a high Hasidic birth rate, a growing block vote, which within the next ten years will probably be sufficient to elect a countywide candidate all on its own but that this next decade, I believe uh, is either going to be a time where we find a way to balance the concerns of the orthodox and the non-orthodox and the rest of the community and try to develop some kind of parameters for how you deal with what's effectively a self-governing religious community which has great political influence um or you're going to have a sustained 10-year uh, culture war with some of the kind of 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 nastiness that uh that we've seen in other places where this happens where you have this this intersection of uh, religious passion and political passion and political interest and public policy. And, uh, I, I view it with great trepidation because it's really an unprecedented mix of factors. Um, and, uh, it can either be a time of great promise or a time of uh, great peril.
0: Okay. So we were going to have to explore that further, uh, with more time. Jerry, I want to thank you for joining us here on, on Spin Class. Great analysis. And uh, as always, and uh, we hope to have you again very soon.
4: Okay,
2: great. Thank you.
0: This is uh, Spin Class. I'm Michael Fragan here with Ryan Carbon. I want to welcome our second guest, uh, columnist for the Journal News, lowhud.com, Phil Reisman. Phil, you there?
4: Yeah, Michael, how are you?
0: Thanks for joining us. And uh, Westchester, once again, potentially the bellwether of uh, elections, Uh, not just just an election that had local ramifications, but even statewide and even looked at uh, nationally. Suburban counties are certainly contested all over the country, and Rob Astorino pulls out a large win, even though he was expected potentially to just squeak by.
4: Yeah, that was a, a surprise to me. He won, I think the number is something like 54-55% against Noam Branson, who's the mayor of New Rochelle, and there was a feeling that this would be a very close race either way by a percentage point or two, but it turns out that there are a lot of independent polls, or not independent polls, I'm sorry, you know, party polls, that were showing that during the mid to late part of October, Astorino was really pulling away. And as you say, um, this sets Astorino up for a possible run for governor uh, in 2014. Um, uh, Frankly, I'd be surprised.
0: (laughs) You'd be surprised uh, if he ran?
4: Yes. Okay. But uh, he certainly deserves to be mentioned because, you know, uh, as you just said before, I mean, uh, you know, this was a, uh, a second... Uh, term for him. That's a convincing victory. Uh, it certainly elevates him in a state where it's uh, you know, the, the, frankly, the uh, the Republican talent's kind of thin. So he uh, he emerges as this young, um, you know, uh, uh, very well-spoken, uh, you know, tax conscience guy, uh, and that uh, it, you know, it was. Duplicated more or less in Rockland and as well as in Nassau, same similar county executive wins for Republicans and also in Erie County. So uh, there he is, you know, and, uh, you know, he's being elevated and touted, and uh, but I still would be surprised if he ran. So
0: in New York City, and obviously New York City is different, yeah. Joe Lota was absolutely pummeled and I right. think absolutely uh, you know, had an anchor you know, around his neck with the government shutdown and being labeled as a Tea Party Republican. Right, uh, and probably Joe Lota has a lot less had a lot less to do with the Tea Party than did Rob Astorino. Yeah. How did Astorino himself avoid that type of label? How did he avoid the government shutdown hurting him? How did he avoid yeah. the Tea Party label? How did he do that successfully?
4: That, that's a really, really good question, and I, I would answer it by simply saying that in suburban Westchester, you're 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 dealing with a constituency that's mainly uh, homeowners and property owners, and in the city, you have a lot of renters and. You know, people that um, may or may not be, uh, you know, quite, um, uh, you know, interested or concerned about the rise in property taxes. Uh, and in Westchester, that's the, that's the mantra. It's all about taxes. It's all about property taxes. And Astorino has been a terrific drum beater on that issue. And he, you know, if you were to sum this up how he won here, uh, it's taxes, taxes, taxes. And that Tea Party stuff didn't work here. It just didn't. Um, uh, even in a county that's you know almost virtually two to one Democratic in enrollment now, uh, he still carried the day. And I think he got he certainly got a lot of Democratic votes crossed mm-hmm. over for him.
1: Yeah, hey, Phil. It's Ryan. How are you? Yeah, Ryan. Um, you know what? What impressed me about about Astorino is I saw a campaign which which was really the culmination of a four year campaign. And I was, I, th- I think you go, you look back. It was very impressive to me the way he began to assemble the building blocks of his victory, st- stuck to his message, how he framed his appeal to Democrats. I saw relentless attention on, you know, uh, conservative and, and reformed Jews. You had Astorino dressing up as Moses at model satyrs. I mean.
4: <laughs> I actually have that photograph. It's by a great,
1: the way. it's a great picture, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. That's definitely the key to victory right there. I yeah. think we found it.
1: So I mean i it I I was I was I thought he, he just played his politics really, really well for a sustained period of time. He had a good team and he had a crap load of money.
4: Yes, and he has about two million dollars left over, I'm told. So, you know, he's he's got he's got plenty of money left over that was uh, by far the most expensive or the most uh, you know you know the most uh, uh, ex- well it was the most expensive county executive race in the history of Westchester, bar none. I mean, nothing until cares.
0: until the next one.
4: Till the next one, yeah. So and he's
0: I mean, got two million dollars left over. So that's a little bit short of Andrew Cuomo, but still significant.
4: Yeah, about what? About $26 million short? Something uh, like
0: that? Yeah, <laughs> so slightly, slightly short. So, so tell us, if he has seems to have the recipe to go ahead and, and win, why doesn't he run statewide? Is it because the numbers in New York City are so daunting that he sees? Or no, well, he doesn't I don't know. See...
4: You know. You might have a better analysis than I do, but I would say that mainly because he just ran and won. This means that he would have to basically run again almost immediately, number one. Number two, I think Cuomo is I think he, you know, frankly, I think he gets slaughtered. And I don't think you want to run a losing race. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. The last time uh, a county executive from Westchester ran against a Cuomo, it was Andy O'Rourke back in 1986.
0: And that wasn't a happy ending.
4: And that was an unhappy ending for the O'Rourkes because he lost, I don't know what the number was, I think it was, I think Andy O'Rourke got 31% of the vote. Now that was against a second term or, you know, Mario Cuomo,
1: at the, to- at the top of his game.
4: At the top of his game, he was running for his second term, and, you know, I don't see, I mean, there may be people who disagree with Andy Cuomo and his policies and other things, but I see him operating,
3: you know, running
4: for his second term in a position of strength. And then people say, well, what about George Pataki? He, he ran and, uh, and beat Mario. Well, Mario was running for his fourth term. That fourth bite of the apple is often fatal, as you know, Ryan. And, uh, and I think that's probably what happened, so you know and and even then you know, it's, it's a uh, shame you know it didn't only turn by out 3 percentage points i
1: think you know that race didn't turn out well for for andy orourke Al Del bello had to you know uh take his marbles and go home as lieutenant governor cuz mario didn't give him anything to do right so you know that Westchester Chester county executive spot or westchester you yep. know, it, it 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 sometimes it works as a springboard. Cuomo did not get elected as a Westchester guy; he got elected as a Queens guy. Right. Though I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about Westchester Cuomo in 2014 than we did in two thousand.
4: Yeah, and you know what? Uh, he has uh, Andrew has uh, pretty much tacked to the center. You know, with certain things that may or may not be. Um, you know, all that's successful, but on the other hand, it certainly plays well when, you, if your, if your issue is Astorino's is, is, you know, curbing property taxes and things like that and, you know, going after state mandates and pension reform and all that. Well, Cuomo has at least answered some of that, you know. Um, he's done that with the tier six pension reform. He's done that with the tax cap. So, you know, in, in many respects, a guy like Astorino is, um, uh,
1: neutralized well i i think that i think that 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 andrew cuomo is very clearly implementing the lessons that he think were learned from the the failed first cuomo um you know that that campaign in 1994 when you know mario cuomo got got his butt kicked in the suburbs the suburbs just sent him you know abandoned him and so i think that's one of the reasons that you probably see this very suburban uh agenda with the tax cap with the mandate reform with all those other kinds of things he's you know, Andrew Cuomo is not going to let a George Pataki come out of nowhere right. and clean his clock in Westchester, Rockland, and Nassau.
4: Exactly. And, and, you know, you just hit on it. It really just shows how the political strength in New York has, you know, shifted somewhat into the suburbs. I mean, it's just been going on for a while. Uh, you know, so, you know, but having said this about Astorino, I, it's not to say that he won't run for governor sometime. I'd just be more, you know, I've been wrong many times. Well, <laughs> Phil, I'm, I'm going to
1: come out with a new topic here. Yeah. Nita Lowy. Oh, gosh. Had a horrible, horrible election day. Her hand-picked nominee, Democrats in both counties. She put her foot on the scale for David Fried in Rockland. She put her foot on the scale for uh, Bramson in Westchester, both yep. former staffers of her, both protégés. Right. She's high profile. She brought in the Clintons, yep. and Lowy lost big. The biggest loser in the Hudson Valley on election day was Nita Lowy. Does she get a primary?
4: Uh, does she? Does she? Uh, very interesting. I doubt that. Um, I, I just doubt that. Um, I think the question is I think the question to Nita Lowy, Ryan, is when does she retire? You know. Um, is it this year? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, she's 76. I think she's got a couple more terms. I mean, she's an automatic, you know. Um, and then the question becomes how much is Noam Branson, who still has, evidently, still has ambitions. To you know, to, to run in the 17th Congressional, even though he's been districted out of there. Uh, mere bag of shells, by the way, you know, there's always ways of getting around that. Um, and my, my prediction is that she'll step down after, you know, maybe four, four, four more years or or two. Who knows? I, I, I don't know. I was, actually, it's funny. I was trying to get a hold of her not long ago. I was going to show up to one of her events. Well, I'll tell
1: you, this. I think I think she's soft in Rockland. I'll tell you that from from, from this side from this side of the river. Um, I think that the, well, that's get, get, the getting getting now. getting yeah, I know it is get, getting yeah. involved in that county executive race turned out to be a real fiasco for her. Uh, yeah. She pissed off a lot of people, um, and uh, that was in the primary. She got involved or in the general day day one. Um, she endorsed David Freed the day he announced his candidacy, and you know, and, and everybody knows the mayor of Suffern was my, was was my preferred candidate, and obviously, well, we, he didn't we, make it on he didn't ballot. make it onto the ballot. You know, that that campaign didn't work out the way we had hoped, but you know, that was essential for Freed's credibility. It kind of validated him in a lot of ways. She headlined every event that he had, from his headquarters opening to his fundraiser. Yeah. Got really, really invested. When you spend that kind of political capital on somebody else yeah. and walk away empty-handed, it's got to hurt.
4: Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I don't know if she was that present here in Westchester as much uh, for Bramson. Interesting. Um, it sounds like she was really playing a treat freedom
1: there. Oh, she was uh, headlines every. Well, yeah. She, so, she, do you think she held back from Bramson? You think she went underground because she saw which
0: well, way it was going?
4: Here's a theory. I'll just throw this.
0: But out. but I yeah. thought. Hold on. I'm the outsider yeah. here because I Go live ahead. I live in Nassau. I right. I thought the whole time looking at this from from a little bit further away that Noam Bramson had a chance. Right, that's that's what everybody's telling us that that he was, you know, the Clintons were going to come in and he was going to yeah. be, and had he was, you know, Westchester wanted to change and it's got a huge enrollment advantage. No, Bramson was, and I'm thinking, wow, this well, guy raised had, taxes so many times, he's so liberal, he's a bad candidate. He so, had a chance, but I I think what you see
1: what you see in these races, you know, Astorino. You know, who wins? You win if you decide what the race is a referendum on. De Blasio won his primary because it was a referendum on Bloomberg. Astorino's race was a referendum on taxes. He won. Ed Day's race in Rock on a referendum on the Hasidim. He won. Mangano ran his referendum on taxes and Sandy recovery and, and, and he won. So, you know, if you can, I've said this many times, if you control the ball, you can, you win the game. And, and these folks, I think, very successfully defined the terms of argument in their races.
4: Yeah, and also, you know, uh, on the tax issue, you know, the candidates that ran against Mangano and Astorino were not all that great on taxes, let's face it, you know. Um, but I, I, getting back to Nita Lowy, I, I have a, and and you know, for presence or non-presence, whatever it was here in Westchester, uh, I think you're probably correct in that they thought Bramson had a good shot. They took it for granted with the enrollment numbers. He got the Independence Party Endorsement, which they thought fatal to Astorino, proved not to be. I mean, big time, and actually kind of weakened the party here. Um, But you know, and you mentioned the Clintons, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, let's watch. You know, watch the Clintons are are interesting to watch. Uh, The family, uh, Westchester
0: County residents.
4: Yes, they're Westchester County residents. They have a daughter that they want to project as a future leader in this country. Um, There's all sorts of rumors about her finding a place to live. Guess where? Maybe in the 17th congressional district. Um, you know, they've already put her in the global initiative uh, thing. Uh, they, you know, uh, there is a sense that you know the Clintons want to keep going. Uh, you know, uh, keep the DNA, political DNA intact. And uh, so it would be very interesting to see if maybe you know Nita, who stepped aside when Hillary ran for uh, the Senate back in 2000, the first time. I don't know if you remember. She was, sure. Lowey was
0: the. She the, was the uh, front runner.
4: Yep, uh, although uh, absolutely zero uh, name recognition at the time. But you know, since then she's been a, a capable congresswoman and uh, and an important one. You know. Well, you know, and, and I found it. Right.
1: I I, find, I found it strange that you didn't see with Nita Lowy, the rancor on the Appropriations Committee in Washington. I expected in Westchester and Rockland for the Democrats. Yeah. I expected a thousand. 2000 union boots on the ground, money coming out of Washington, big, you know, outpouring from labor packs it didn't happen, and I thought that was really strange.
0: So I guess a soft underbelly. So uh, this is a Spin Class, and we're here with Phil Reisman, and uh, sponsored by Beckerman Communications, Beckerman Public Relations, Beckerman Public Affairs. Phil, we're going to have to cut this one short. Yeah. We could really go on all night, but I have right. another guest on the line. I you want should. to pick this up as we talk about the suburbs that become really, really important. Thank you for your expert yeah. analysis.
4: Thanks for having me on. Great. It. Take care, guys. Thank, Thank you very care. much. Uh,
0: okay, this is uh, Spin Class once again. We're here, uh, and we have on the line, Dana Rubenstein from the capital of New York. But Dana, I can never remember Rubenstein. Rubenstein.
3: Rubenstein.
0: Ah, uh, Rubenstein. There we Iceberg, go. Goldberg. Goldberg. Yeah. Okay. Look. What can I say? I, got, I like to get it right the second time.
3: <laughs> okay.
0: That's that's the kind of you know that's the kind of way I roll. Uh, better
3: late than never.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So Dana, you cover you cover New York City politics from an interesting angle: infrastructure, transportation, and the like, and mm-hmm. uh, the the. What I wanted to get into a little bit as we transition, right, from the 12 years of Bloomberg into the the, the progressive era, era, the great progressive era of Bill de Blasio, what is going to change in New York City? And oh. I think we may have seen it already, and lightning kind of maybe struck this week with the shelving of the Midtown East rezoning. And uh, right. maybe for the audience, you can very quickly explain what that is and why that was shelved.
3: Sure. Well, it- one of Bloomberg's legacy projects that he really wanted to get done before his term was up was a rezoning that would basically allow for taller buildings in a 73-block swath around Grand Central Terminal. And uh, he wasn't able to push it through the city council. At the end of the day, Dan Garodnick, the councilman in whose district most of the uh, rezoned area lies, uh, wouldn't get on board with the project. So, you know, and he, Gorodnik is considering or mounting a run for speaker and there was a lot of pressure from the Hotel Trades Union among others to, uh, to not approve.
0: Okay, so is that? Are we going to see a anti-development, anti-developer, not development, anti-developer type of posture from the new administration? Is that is that we can we I, can expect? I
3: doubt it. I mean, De Blasio is committed to pushing through some form of the Midtown East rezoning uh, in 2014, and you know his history would seem to suggest that he's actually very pro-development. He seems to be of the belief that the only way to get the sort of affordable housing that New York City needs is to have a lot more density. And, uh, you know, he was a big supporter of the Atlantic Yards project in downtown Brooklyn. Right, which seemed
0: not to have hurt him in the election, which, you know, amazingly enough.
3: Sorry, you said it didn't hurt him?
0: It didn't hurt him being a big supporter of Atlantic Yards. On the flip side, Atlantic Yards really propelled Tish James into stardom political startup.
3: Yeah, no, it's interesting. Opposition. I mean, they to it. they were both council members at the same time. Both of their districts bordered or included some portion of the Atlantic Yards project, and Tish was extremely vocal in her opposition, you know, constantly out there criticizing the project and and sort of the process by which it was approved, and De Blasio was really nowhere to be seen, but somehow that didn't hurt him in in sort of his Park Slope, Brownstone, brownstone, Brooklyn Base, even though a lot of the people who live there uh, were deeply opposed to
1: the Well, project. do you think that's because – and it's Ryan. How are you, Dana? Hi. Um, do you think that's because de Blasio was kind of winning with this macro narrative? It was kind of – it seemed to me bigger than any kind of tiny little issue going on in the city is he was winning the thematic argument and yes. some of that other stuff seemed to drop out.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that, you know, the people in, in who live in Brownstone, Brooklyn, you know, most of my friends live in Brownstone, Brooklyn, they pretty much all voted for de Blasio, and it's because they, you know, they were really yearning for a candidate who purported to uh, present something more progressive uh, than the administration that's leaving office now.
0: So why in their mind, in everybody's mind, seemingly in the city, was Joe Loda not progressive? If you, if you look at, in a lot of ways, Joe Loda... He's for legal weed, right? Exactly. In many ways, Joe Loda is a progressive candidate.
3: He is in a lot of ways. I mean, certainly he's socially liberal, and, and he's worked for both Democrats and Republicans. He's not the Tea Party candidate that de Blasio painted him. But, you know, he also didn't do himself any favors when he said that Obamacare should be delayed for a year, for example. Or, you know, he campaigned quite a bit with Rudy Giuliani who is pretty conservative. And, you know, I think at the end of the day it was hard for him to, to beat that Republican label. I, I don't think
0: I don't think Michael,
1: I don't think there was a problem that people were looking to a guy like Loda to, to solve. And and while some folks in the political class may have some anxiety about the end of the you know bloomberg a uh, you know uh, technocracy whatever you want to call it um the bottom line is if everything's running fine you don't bring in a guy like joe loda who says you know i'm 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 a management guy i clean up messes there is no mess and i think the i think the absence of a perceived structural mess in city hall the thing being mismanaged they weren't looking for a management expert they were looking for a guy with a different vision of the city and what it could be and that was a contrast with bloomberg i don't think they i don't think they were looking for a guy who you know while he may have had great managerial skill, I don't think they were looking at Joe Loda as an appropriate author for the next chapter of New York City story,
3: right, because things are going well right now. I mean, there hasn't been another terrorist attack, crime is not rampant, so you know what reason would a Democrat have to vote for a republican
1: so uh, not afraid of anything sort of, so, Democrats don't vote Republican unless they're afraid
3: so based on based on <laughs> based
0: on what you're saying, based on what you're saying the from your analysis, really, Joe Lota really never had a chance.
3: That's basically how I see it, yeah. One, uh, Ken Sherrill, so, who's a political science professor, described this as the first normal election that New York City has had in in decades, or I guess since Dinkins. I mean, people typically vote their party line, and there have been extraordinary circumstances in the past that have propelled Republicans to power, but none of those circumstances were were in existence this this
1: year, so people, you know, and that was probably a relief to a lot of Democrats who didn't have to go in there and say, "Oh, I'm holding my nose. I'm voting on the Republican line." They could vote for a Democrat. They were comfortable with him. He had, he's not a device. He wasn't a divisive figure. Had a record in public service. You know, Democrats weren't going to be. Who? How is Bill De Blasio going to be disqualified for Democrats whose natural inclination was to go for him? And I think what Dana's saying is there was no way it was going to happen.
3: Yeah, I mean, there would have had to be some sort of enormous scandal surrounding De Blasio, I think, for it to way.
0: Okay, let's talk for a second about the speakers race. There's
1: at, a forum going on right now. There's a
0: forum going on as we speak in the uh, at the speakers race, and you know, one of the people who is throwing throwing their hat in the ring is Dan Gorodnik, as you mentioned before, mm-hmm. who is a, had a, a little player in this uh, rezoning.
3: That's
0: right. am uh, a bit part. And, uh, he also, uh, if you recall a couple of years ago, was, uh, was a player in the Stytown, uh, Right. I think purchase. he actually might
3: live in Stytown.
0: He does live. I think he either in Peter Cooper, or one or the other, but not, not, not bad as political bases go. Exactly. So, so we're we handicapped that for a second from a development oh, perspective. God. Okay. So if you think that de Blasio is not dangerous for the, for the development real estate uh, money class here in New York city as a potential Melissa Mark Viverito or, or somebody to the left far to the left uh, is uh, dangerous for those that you cover.
3: Is she dangerous for, you're saying is she dangerous for sort of the real estate? I'm
0: for the real estate industry. And you know, if, uh, if they're going to all tack very left, they, they rely on the council to get a lot of things through. And the, uh, Christine Quinn did that for years.
3: Well, I guess the big danger to the real estate community is really the prospect of property tax hikes, which is the only tax I believe that the city can actually control without Albany approval. So, you know, de Blasio has reportedly indicated his support for Mark Viverito, and she is in fact very liberal. I'm not sure where she stands on property tax issues, but it's probably safe to assume that she's. Um, more amenable to raising property taxes than someone who's of a more moderate caste. So, I mean, from what I understand, that is the big concern going into the de Blasio administration for the real estate community, that property taxes will, in fact, go up, especially if he can't get this... Uh, 3K tax through Albany and has to find another financing.
0: Another revenue. I, 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 don't, I don't know that
1: De Blasio wants a council speaker who's going to pull him to the left. So I, I, I don't, I'm not sure how hard his foot is on that scale right now. I think. Yeah, because that, that
3: would you know having a, a speaker who's to the left would make him look less progressive than he would like to appear.
0: Uh, and then more, less progressive than or more progressive than Andrew Cuomo. So he'll look, still look progressive, but he might actually not be that progressive. Right. Okay, this is Spin Class. We are uh, gonna. We have been talking to Dana Rubenstein from Capital New York, and that is a site that everybody must read. Certainly, uh, kudos on on the the site on steroids uh recently (laughs) so it's really fantastic read if you want to cover politics and uh we are actually out of time getting the evil eye right now so dana thanks for joining us
3: all right good talking
0: to you okay this is spin class sponsored by beckerman i want to thank our uh, co-host ryan carbon here in the studio uh quick shout out to my my friends and neighbors out there the two best percentages for republicans uh in nassau county uh was 2055 my home district which went 90% for uh Went 90% for Ed Mangano, 89 point and change percent. And, and then, I had
1: a fundraiser there in Lawrence. It's a Democratic I, I, Assembly I, very That's Very possibly.
0: Amazing. And the best turnout for Joe Loda – uh was in Far Rockaway the 27th assembly uh, uh election district of the 23rd assembly district uh in the home of Phil Goldfeder over there went 91% for Joe Lota so go figure neighboring districts heavily republican lots of orthodox jews and uh kind of the opposite of Rockin County we're going to get back to that in a at a further episode thank you Ryan Carpenter, for joining us
1: thank you Michael Fragan for having me
0: okay we're here on the Nachum Siegel network nachumsiegel.com and have a good night